Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Today, Executive Pastor Justin Frazier continues our series titled, Mad Men of the Old Testament. Now, let's hear from Justin. Uh, when I was uh, in business school, one of the favorite things the, that I enjoyed was the case studies. And back then, we used to study companies like IBM, because they were a progressive company, and they were a, a, one of the biggest companies in the world at the time. And I remember a specific case study about a young manager that they had recently hired from a very prestigious business school. And they had to hire him into a, a pretty big position that might have been a little bit over his skis, but that's what you have to do if you want to get the best talent out there. And so they hire him in, they give him a budget, and they give him this team. And within three months, that guy had lost $10 million in making a very poor investment decision, saying, okay, we, I think technology is going this way. It didn't pan out, lost a huge chunk of change. And so the, the, the case study was that the CEO calls this, this young man into his office, right? And so he walks in there and he says, I, you know, I suppose you're, you're looking for my letter of resignation. And the CEO said this, he said, son, we just invested $10 million in your education. I'm not about to let you go now. Right? And pretty profound. And it, it is a true story. And, and what's really cool about that, and, and, and the reason I bring it up, is because we're in this series called Mad Men of the Old Testament. And we've looked at some knuckleheads, from Saul and Nabal and uh, Jonah. Uh, and today I thought I'd do something a little bit different in that there's a lot of knuckleheads, for sure, in there. And we could go to all the, well, most of the kings of Israel were, were stupid, right? And they were evil guys and did a lot of dumb stuff. But there's some redeeming value at looking at a guy that had a couple, multiple major failures, right, but that God used in a powerful way. Because those are things that we can relate to. We've all screwed up. We've all made mistakes. You know, think about Paul says, man, the very things that I want to do is not what I want to, not what I do, and the things that I don't want to do is what I do. What a wretched man that I am. That's the story of God's redemptive grace. So this morning, I thought we would look at a guy that actually, there's a lot in the, in the Bible about him. In fact, he's number three behind Jesus and David. This guy has a lot written about him. So there's so much that not only do we see the good, he's one of the heroes of the faith, but there's also things that, man, he really missed the mark, and he had shortcomings there. So this morning, we're going to look at the story of Moses. And what I love about Scripture is that it doesn't sugarcoat our, our shortcomings, right? It describes what happens, even when it's really embarrassing and somewhat incriminating. And I think that's, that's a good place to start because... Uh, we need to understand when we're approaching a passage or a scripture, we need to know, is it descriptive or is it prescriptive, right? To know the difference. So descriptive is, is it, is it describing something that happened, right? Prescriptive would be prescribing, is it a command? Is, is it telling us something that should happen, okay? And it, it, what, when we confuse those two, it gets us into trouble. And this is a little bit of a detour, but I think it applies. So that, let's take the story of David and Goliath. Right? Goliath is sitting there and he's, he's uh, uh, blaspheming God. He's mocking the children of Israel. So David shows up. He grabs a sling and a stone. He kills Goliath and cuts off his head. Right? If it's describing, which it is, then it's, it's a good story. It, it, it helps us learn that, you know, different principles, like how we should trust God. Right? There's a lot of things we can learn from that. Uh, but it's not prescriptive. It's not telling us that's something that we should do. If you take that story as prescriptive, then we should all be carrying around slings and stone and looking at knuckleheads to, to take out, right? And, but you misapply Scripture. 
And I see that a lot actually on social media today, especially as it relates to some of the sexual ethics that people said, well, we see all throughout scripture that the guys had multiple wives or the guys were cheated. So that God really didn't intend for you to be with one woman for life, right? That's totally taking scripture out of context. And it's also taking passages that were descriptive, that scripture saying, listen, these guys did this. It's not how they were supposed to live, but it's how they did live. And they're trying to make it prescriptive as if this is the pattern that God wants us to follow. So as we look at Moses's life, we need to say, okay, here's the things he did really well, but here's where he missed the mark, right? So where he misses the mark is not prescriptive. It's telling you, okay, he's fallible. He messed up and he learned from it. And this is how God used him uh, and we can learn from that today. Make sense? All right, so as we jump into the story, uh, I, I came across a, a quote from D.L. Moody, which is, uh, he was a great theologian of years gone by, about Moses that I thought would help frame our discussion this morning. And here's what he said. He said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the second 40 years learning he was a nobody. And then he spent his third 40 years discovering what a God can do with a nobody. All right, I think that's important as we look at, at Moses' life because we see failures in all three of those segments. So I kind of divided this up into Acts 1, Acts 2, and Acts 3. And we're, gonna, we're studying the failures, right, from the madman of the Old Testament, not so we can repeat them, but that we can learn from them, right? Because we can't make all the mistakes ourselves. There are some things that we can only learn in the house of mourning, right? Ecclesiastes 7 says that a wise man, right, learns in the house of mourning. But... We're, our lives are not long enough to be that stupid to make all the mistakes ourselves, right? Mom always said, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough, right? But you don't want to be so tough because you're making all the mistakes yourself. Let's learn from somebody else. So let's look at, I'm going to kind of recount. There's a lot in there about Moses. So I'm going to tell some of the story and then we'll jump into some of the scriptures and, and see where I'm going with this. So act one is Egypt, right? So Moses was a Hebrew, right? Born to two parents from the tribe of Levi. He was the the he had uh, two siblings. He was, there's a family of three, or the three, three children. So he had Miriam was his older sister, and Aaron was his older brother. And so when he was born, he was born into uh, slavery in Egypt. And at that time, Pharaoh said, man, these Israelites, these Hebrews are just multiplying like crazy. So he said, okay, I want every boy that's born to be killed. Because I'm, I'm worried about just the sheer numbers. I need to get a handle on this. And so Moses' mom hid him for three months. And then she just couldn't hide him anymore. I mean, you know, and so she said, she devised this plan. She created this little boat that went down to the Nile and, and her and, and his sister, Miriam, put him in the, in the boat in the reeds where he knew that Pharaoh's daughter was coming down. So Pharaoh's daughter comes down, sees Moses in the boat, takes pity on him. And then Miriam jumps out of nowhere and says, oh, you know, I can go find a, a Hebrew woman to nurse him if you'd like. Right? And so he said, okay, do that. So he, she ends up getting Moses' mom. So Moses' mom got to wean Moses th for the rest of his time. So when he was weaned, then he went to go live with Pharaoh's daughter in the palace, and he grew up as Egyptian royalty. So here you have this Hebrew that grew up as Egyptian royalty, and that's kind of his background. In fact, uh, I think the first verse we have here in, in Acts 7, 22, it uh, this is actually Stephen who's recounting this before he gets stoned, but this is how he describes Moses. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. So Moses knew he was a Hebrew, even though he grew up as, as uh, Egyptian royalty. So that kind of brings us to the, the uh, focal point of this first 
Acts, Act 1, if you will, the first 40 years. So Moses is wandering around. We jump into Exodus chapter 2, and this is where we see the, uh, the first uh, scene take place. It says this, on uh, one day uh, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. So it's his people, but he's dressed as his Egyptian. He's walking out there. He's checking it out. And he said, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked, what, what is wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So scripture isn't totally clear, <clears throat> excuse me. So I'm not going to try to assign motive, right? Did, did Moses intend to go kill that Egyptian? Uh, it it kind of looks like he did, right? Because it said Moses looked this way and that and seen no one, he interfered, right? I don't know if he just meant to stop him or if he meant to kill him, but he obviously killed the Egyptian. And then on top of that, he tried to hide his body in the sand, right? So he screwed up royally. And so uh, he, then when he, he returns to the scene of the crime the next day, those other guys call him out, said, who do you think you are? And you're going to kill us like you killed that other guy. He knew Pharaoh was going to have his hide, so he leaves town. Okay? So a couple takeaways real quick, and we'll come back and apply at the end. Consequences uh, from poor choices can last a lifetime, let's be honest. We, there are always consequences from sin. Okay? Moses could not go back and become a part of Pharaoh's house. He was done. He had, he had given up that right. He couldn't make that young man come back to life. So there are consequences to sin. And then the other piece from this is that feeling guilty from past failures <clears throat> can hamper us in the future and what God wants to do in our lives. And we're going to see that in, in this next act, if you will, of, of Moses' life. But he could not change that. But I think it, because of uh, the impact of this scenario, when God calls him and says, okay, I'm ready to use you, he is very reluctant. And I think it's because of fear of, of, or the impact of what a previous failure had on his current thinking. <clears throat> so, act two, Moses goes to Midian. So it's a desert, he runs away, he's hiding. First thing he does, he comes to this well, and that's, that's kind of what the scripture tells us. And he, he runs into uh, these priest's daughters, uh, as priest is Jethro, who we know will eventually become his, his uh, father-in-law, but he runs into uh, this, these ladies that are out there trying to water their, their flock, right? And shepherds come in, and they push him out, and Moses intervenes again. That's who he is. He was a man of action, right? Something happens, he's going to respond. And so he, he takes over, he, he gets rid of the shepherds, he waters the flock. They go home, they tell their dad, man, we're, we're home early. This guy came and, and interceded for us and helped us out because we were in trouble. And so Jethro says, well, let's invite him to dinner, right? Next thing you know, he's marrying his, one of his daughters called Zipporah. And so all of a sudden you see this 40-year period where Moses is a shepherd. So he was a royalty, right? He knew he was a Hebrew, but he was living in palaces, had the best education, he had the best of everything. People thought he was next in line to be Pharaoh. I mean, that's, that's a pretty prominent uh, position. Now he's a shepherd. He's out wandering, tending sheep. So he thought he was somebody, then now he's, he, he knows he's a nobody, right? He's just somebody out there uh, tending flock. And so... Uh, this, is, this is where Moses spends his, uh, his time, and then we come um, to uh, uh, the burning bush, right? 
So at Mount Horeb, he, Moses out tending flocks, he sees this, this fire, but it's not really burning. So we jump in the, the scriptures at Exodus 3, uh, verses 4 and 6, 4 to 6. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him uh, from within the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses comes face to face with God, and he knows it, right? I mean, he was afraid to look. And God goes on to tell him, he says, listen, I've been watching the suffering of my Israelites, and I am concerned, and I want to do something about it. And so he says, I'm going to use you, and we're going to go fix this problem because it, 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 it touches my heart. And what does Moses do? Here's this man of action, right? We've already seen him intercede and he killed the Egyptian. He went to the well and he chased off the shepherds. He didn't know anybody. He was a stranger in the land. That's who, how he was wired. And so God says, all right, it, it makes sense why God would call him, right? He was a Hebrew, but he was Egyptian royalty. I mean, he was uniquely qualified to be the messenger back to Pharaoh. And then what do we see with Moses in that moment, right? He starts making excuses uh, in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And so God said, listen, I'm going to be with you. Okay, that, that's a pretty big statement. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said, I am going to be with you. So Moses went, right? Eh, not so much. All right, so we go to verse 13, two verses later. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And so God says, I am has sent you, right? That I am who I am. He self-defines himself because he's the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who spoke the world into existence. And then he says, not only that, uh, but he said, uh, Pharaoh's not going to relent. He said, so I'm going to give you miracles. So he said, I'm, I'm going to be with you. This is who I am, and I'm going to go with you. And not only that, but when you leave, so he's already telling them, when you are victorious, I'm going to give you all the plunders of Egypt. You're going to plunder them on the way out. They're going to give you gifts to leave. All right? That, that gets you fired up. Say, okay, God, you've got this all handled. You've already thought through it. I'm going. Well, not so much. All right? We go on to, to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Okay, you can just imagine God said, okay, let's go. So he said, all right, throw your staff on the ground. Right, it becomes a snake. And then he picks up a tail, it becomes a staff again. He says, stick your hand in your cloak. Pull it out and it's leprous. He said, if they still don't believe you, pour water on the ground. I'll change it into blood. Okay, so he's showing miracles. He's saying, listen, I am who I am. Trust me, let's go. So Moses' response was, okay, let's go, Lord. Well, not quite yet. He wasn't done. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. You know, Stephen already said he was powerful in speech, right? But he's making excuses. He's like, okay, I don't, I don't talk good. Why are you going to send me? Right? And, and God's answer was, who do you think gave men tongues? Right? Mic drop. He said, I'll show you what to say. You go. And finally, Moses gets to the heart of the matter, right? In verse 13, Moses said, pardon your certain Lord, but please send someone else. He didn't want to go. And so God, it says that the Lord's anger burned against him. He was, he was mad. But 
as God always does, he had, he already knew it was happening. He said, your brother Aaron's coming up. I'm going to send him with you. You guys are going. Okay. So navigating all those excuses. So here's two takeaways from this period. One, Moses did not accept God's word. God spoke. He said, I've got this planned out. I'm going to be with you. We're going. And he didn't trust that. And he also didn't trust God's sovereignty, which is a little different than his word. He didn't trust the very nature of who God was, right? The God who spoke the world into existence, who holds all things together by his power, he, he didn't trust in him yet. We're going to see Moses did eventually more so than, than most, right? And so God uses him in a powerful way. But we see right here a lack of faith where Moses did not yet trust in, in, in uh, God. So obviously... God went out, sends Moses and Aaron back to Egypt, sends the ten plagues. You know, Pharaoh hardened his heart, so it took a while. And then what happened? They left in the middle of the night, right? And, and, and literally the Egyptians said, take whatever you want, take all this, just leave. Because the death angel had come and killed the firstborn. And, and literally, that's, that's why it's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, because the bread that they were making that night didn't even have time to, to rise, right? So that's where that all came from. And literally, they, they go out in the middle of the night, it says about 600,000 men, which means you add in women and children, well over a million, maybe multiple millions, a lot of folks. I mean, can you imagine organizing that size crowd? And so they go out and they go into the desert, then they're heading, and Lord, or, uh, the Lord doesn't take them through enemy land. He just takes them straight out there. They come right to the Red Sea. Obviously, God parts it. Israel crosses. Egyptians pursue, wipes them out. Okay, so God's provision, which leads us to kind of the third act, if you will. And this is the desert wandering. And so you've got all these folks wandering around the desert. God leads, right? It's very clear that God is in control. He leads them by a power of, of uh, a pillar of clouds in the day, pillar of fire at night. He provides food. He provides water. He provides protection. So it's very clear that, that God is leading and that Moses is his man. Uh, and so what happens? Moses is caught in this no-win situation where the children of Israel, they're constantly complaining, right? Man, it'd be better for us to die in Egypt than to be out here with you. And then on the other side, they keep sending us the Lord. And so Moses keeps have to, has to intercede with the Lord on behalf of the Israelites and saying, Lord, don't kill them. <laughs> you know, we've been through so much. Just, just please relent. In fact, think about the Ten Commandments, right? Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. God's giving him the, the commands and they're spending time together. What are the, the Israelites doing down below? Making, yep, an idol. Right? In fact, go read it sometime uh, in chapter 32. It, it's the craziest story, well, one of them, in Scripture, where, you know, uh, so Aaron's down there, and he fashions a, a calf out of this gold. And then when Moses comes back down, and, and he confronts Aaron about it, Aaron's like, hey, it wasn't me. He said, they just, they insisted, and they gave me this gold. I threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous, right? And in fact, it says that Aaron says, here's the God that brought you out of Egypt. So, I mean, th there's your priest who's assigning what was due to God to this idol. So Moses was constantly dealing with this, right? And then God wants to kill him. And Moses is like, oh, God, please don't do this. And so Moses was stuck in, in between. So finally, he gets him to the promised land, right? They get there. They send in the, the 12 spies. They said, man, this is awesome. Just like God said back, you know, uh, chapters earlier. He said he was going to take us into this land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. The other 10 said, oh, we can't do it. They're too big. 
They're, they're giants. They're going to kill us. There's too many of them. And so they don't. Which costs Moses, what, another 40 years of wandering. Can you imagine being so frustrated with, with these people that God has entrusted you to lead and that you've sacrificed so much to do and they continue to, to complain and whine and not trust the Lord all the way throughout? That brings us to kind of the third example uh, in this third act. <clears throat> Picking up in, in Numbers uh, chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. The Lord said to Moses, uh, take the staff uh, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak the, to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he's commanded. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in, uh, in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with the staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. So two thoughts out of this. One, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? Moses was not obedient to what God called him. God said, speak to this rock. Moses decided to strike the rock, right? Because he was mad. He was demonstrating, you know, the anger of the Lord. He thought he was doing uh, something for the Lord, but it's not. God asked him to do something specifically, and he didn't obey, Right? We see that, <clears throat> the same principle all throughout Scripture. 1 Samuel uh, 15, 22 talks about it as well, that, uh, where Samuel's talking to Saul. And Saul said, hey, I followed what, what the Lord said to do. And, and Samuel said, no, you were supposed to obey. It wasn't about saving stuff that you could sacrifice. God said to get rid of that completely, and you disobeyed. And then the other thing is that it, it's not about us. Right? I always think about Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, one of the best-selling books in, in, in the history of books. Uh, first line from that book is it's not about you that applies right here guys because look, look at the text it says uh it, listen you rebels must we bring you water out of this rock so moses took glory that was assigned to the lord lord said i'll do this i'll provide they were complaining we don't have any water we wish we were back in egypt and god said okay speak to the rock and i'll i'll provide and moses couldn't resist it must we do this now, he, was, he met with God regularly, right? He was God's mouthpiece, so he was, he was there. But once again, he's, he's trying to take a little bit of the credit, whether intentional or not, and saying, should we do this? That's not what God told him to do. So after highlighting all these failures in Moses, you're like, man, I thought he was a hero of the faith. Why are we, why are we looking at this? Uh, there's a couple things I want to highlight on why God used Moses, and it's, it's obvious as we look through it. First of all, as I mentioned, Moses was close with God. He uh, interfaced with God all the time, right? And God even said, hey, this is my chosen, chosen one. And they met together frequently. And then even after all of his failures, Moses was a courageous leader. Think about this, about having to go and stand before Pharaoh when you've already murdered a guy and he wants to kill you anyways, and you're trying to represent a people that don't want you, right? You're, you're, you know, the Israelites didn't want him. They said, who are you? We don't know you. And then you have to lead all these millions of peoples out wandering around in the desert, depending on God. And you don't have no control. You're, you're depending on God too. And you're trying to lead people that are complaining. You're trying to intercede for them, for God. Uh, and he wants to kill them because of their, their being idiots. And so he was caught in the middle, right? But there's a couple verses actually in, in Numbers chapter 12 that really stood out to me on, on why God chose Moses. 
The first one uh, is verse uh, 12, verse 3. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Pretty powerful, huh? The, the thing that you really know about Moses is his humility. He understood he was a sinner, right? He made a lot of mistakes. That's maybe part of the reason why he didn't want to go in the first place. But God used him in a very powerful way because of his humility. And then we, we see how faithful he was. And so in Numbers uh, 12, verse 7, it says, uh, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. So this is actually when, when God is speaking to Miriam and Aaron, and we're going to see why in a minute. But they were saying, hey, God's, God talks to all of us. Why is Moses always the mouthpiece? Right? And, and, and God said, because he's faithful. What I've entrusted him, he's doing. So what, when Moses, when Miriam and, and Aaron start start rebelling and talking bad about Moses, right? And this is his brothers and sisters, right? So you know it's bad when your own family's doing it. God gives Miriam uh, leprosy, right? Skin goes ash white. And, and so what does Moses do, right? In, in uh, chapter th- 12, verse 13, Moses starts interceding for a sister who just got done blasting him and questioning his authority. And he, so Moses cried out to the Lord, please God, heal her. Right? He ends up just saying, okay, put her outside the camp for seven days and she'll be cleansed and come in. But the point is, he was very compassionate. We see that all throughout Scripture, where he in- interceded for the same people that were grumbling against him wandering around the desert, the same people that were unfaithful and didn't trust to enough to go into the promised land and cost him 40 years. He, those are the same people that he kept interceding on, on God's behalf, saying, listen, Lord, be patient with them. Right? So we see all these characteristics. What can we learn from the failures. That's what we're studying in this, in this series. All right, a couple things. From Act 1, we all have regrets from the past. We've all screwed up, made big mistakes, or maybe it was the sin of omission. Maybe there's that thing that you wish you would have done that you didn't do. But we can't allow those previous mistakes to prevent God from being able to do something in and through us today. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're so consumed by what happened or did, should have happened, it didn't happen, that we miss what God, how God wants to use us today. Okay? Act two, when he's out there making excuses. We do the same thing. Quit making excuses on why we can't be used, right? Why we, why, uh, we don't do it. When God's put something in your heart or put something in your path, move forward in faith. We say, oh, I don't know enough to do that. Or, or I shouldn't speak up because I don't, I'm not good with words. Or, I'm too busy, I don't have time for that. Or, someone else will be better qualified. Right? God, use someone else. Remember that God doesn't call the equipped. Right? He equips the called. Because He gets glory for it. Right? His power is made perfect in our weakness. If we do something out of our own power, out of our own effort, that's what Moses tried to do back in Egypt. Right? He said, I see a dude there, I can go fix that. I'm going to go kill him. No, God wants to do it so He gets the credit. So, if He's calling you to something you don't feel equipped for, you're in the right place. All right? Because God, remember Romans 8, uh, 11? Thank you. I didn't have this on my side. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living within you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives within you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that's in your life, right? That's the Holy Spirit that's in you. So it's not about you. It's about what God can do in and through you. All right, and then last, 
from Acts chapter three, or the, from the third act, be obedient. Just be obedient. What has God called you to do? You may not have a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire leading you, but you got something even better. You have the word of God. If you don't think you know what God wants of you, that's your fault, right? We have scripture that tells us exactly what God wants from us, about who we are and whose we are. And if we don't know, that's on us. How can we claim to love a God that we don't know? So we should be spending time in scripture, right? And at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about God, the one who suffered and died and, and redeemed us. And so what I want to do is I want to spend, uh, yep, okay, the last couple minutes, where uh, Dennis is going to put a handout on there, discussing and applying these in, in our lives, right? It, it's, it's one thing to talk about it theologically. It's another one to put it into practice. And that's why we need other men in our lives to help us do that. Moses had Aaron, right? He also had Jethro, his father-in-law, that told him, hey, you need to get people together so that you can divide up and actually manage these folks. He had uh, Caleb and Joshua. We need those guys in our lives to help us do that. And for the guys that are listening online, we always have, there's way more people that actually listen on the podcast than are actually here in the morning. I'd encourage you to take uh, what you learned today and discuss it with folks, right? Because we want to really put it into practice and not just merely be hearers only, but be doers of the word. So go ahead and and discuss these and then uh, pray out and you'll be dismissed. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next week for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.